So welcome to this gathering of renewal. It is so awesome. I love being with God's people. And today is a special day. We're starting a brand new series, and it's in the book of Galatians. And calling this series Free at Last. And the reason why is the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to his brothers and sisters in Galatia. And he was very concerned because the path that they were following was a path that would lead them to slavery. And so his message in his letter is, there is a way for you to experience true freedom. You are free at last, so don't go back into slavery. And this is a common thing for us as parents because we can oftentimes see our children going down a path that is really unhealthy or that is just foolish. And so as a parent, and those of you that have small children can probably relate to this, is you, you find yourself saying things that you never thought that you would say out loud. Like you say things like, stop licking the drain on the kitchen floor. It's like, I just said that out loud. Like, don't lick the drain. Or things like, no, stop smearing your poop on your shirt. Like, I have yeah, toddlers, you know. You know what's up. It's, it's just, it's not, it's not sanitary. It's not, you have to teach them about things like hygiene. Or even things like here recently, one of my little ones was launching himself off of the top of his bunk. And we're like, what are you doing and he was like, well, I saw a bear do it on TV. So it was like, it doesn't matter if you saw a bear do it on TV. You don't jump off of furniture. Or even like just the littlest of things in life, we, we have to constantly be correcting and encouraging and keeping our children on the right track. But it's even, even beyond things like good hygiene and not breaking their limbs it also includes, and most importantly, following the path of life and leading our children to trust God and to treasure him. This is what we do first and foremost as we shepherd and teach and lead our children. And it's not that different if you had a really good friend that you saw this person that you love going down a path of destruction headed down a path that you see leads to death. Would you just sit there and cross your arms and say, well, they'll figure it out themselves or I'll pray for them, but then say nothing? I hope that you would say something. I hope that you would go to your brother or your sister or your friend and say, hey, I love you. And because I love you, you need to know that this path that you're on is going to lead to absolute devastation. And this is why the Apostle Paul wrote the letter of Galatians, because he saw the path that his beloved brothers and sisters were on. Let's begin with Galatians chapter 1, just the first couple of verses, just to read the introduction. Galatians 1, verses 1 and 2, as we begin this morning. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead 
and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Now, if you're not familiar, Paul was a church planter. If you read in the book of Acts, verses 13 and 14, it describes his first missionary journey, and he traveled up to modern-day Turkey. It, at the time, it was called Asia Minor, is the, 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 the vast region. And within that, there was an area called Galatia. And so Galatia was, was founded by Greeks, the Gauls, and so it was called Galatia. And so there's a lot of history there. But point is that what you had with these people who lived there, this was the general region. So Paul went through Turkey, and he planted churches. And you can read about it again in Acts 13 and 14. Now, as far as when this happened, it was in the mid-40s, so between, say, A.D. 44 through, like, A.D. 46. So somewhere in that range is when Paul was going through Asia Minor and planting these churches. So if you think about it, it wasn't that long after Jesus was resurrected. This was only a few years after. Now, he wrote this letter likely around A.D. 50, so only a few years. So these are all Somewhat young churches, kind of like us. Now, we're not even one year old or nine months, but these churches were only a few years old. And so these were young believers, and Paul writes them this letter because he wants them to know that they're on the wrong path and that they had abandoned the gospel. And he is telling them in this book, wake up, come to your senses. And there's this tone throughout the book of almost angry. Like Paul is not feeling it with his fellow Galatians. He's upset and he's shocked that they would abandon the gospel and in so doing actually turn their backs on God. Now we're going to look at chapter 1 this morning as we begin this series. And it basically answers two questions. Now, there's lots of ways to break down this, but to keep it as simple as possible to understand the flow of this first chapter, there's two primary sections, which is verses 1 through 9 and then verses 10 through 24. And each section answers one question. So verses 1 through 9 is answering the question, what is the gospel? It's just asking, well, what exactly is the gospel? And then verse 10 to 24 ask a different question, which is, well, what difference does the gospel make? And so what is the gospel? And once you understand that, the question is, well, does it actually impact? Does it actually make a difference in your life? Let's begin with the first section, verses 1 through 9. We just read the intro. He says, Paul, an apostle, which means a sent one. So he is sent. He says, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. So he's saying it up front, that Jesus has been resurrected. He has defeated the grave. He says, and the brothers who are with me to the churches in this region called Galatia. And here's what he says. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel 
Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want you to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. We will talk about this idea of being cursed or damned later in the book because there's a lot of repeated themes throughout the book. And so we won't go into that. We'll, we'll save that for later in the book. But what you do see here is he's saying, if anyone, even if an angel, if anyone proclaims to you a different gospel, then let them be damned. Let them be cursed. This is foundational for us to understand the gospel becomes the foundation for our lives. And so like in verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle, a sent one. He says, not from men, but through Jesus. So he is sent to proclaim the gospel. Verse 9, the gospel is a divine message. It says it is received from God. It's not from man. It is revealed and it is received from God. And earlier in verse 8, it says, but even if an angel should preach something different, let him be accursed. It, this comes from God. And then verse 12, read it in just a couple of minutes. Verse 12, it says, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So the gospel is not a result of human study. The gospel is not the result of human enlightenment. It is not the result of human research or ingenuity or human reflection or human discovery. It, has, it is not human. It is divine in its source. The gospel is not human wisdom. The gospel is the wisdom of God. The gospel is from God. It's his idea. It's his message. It comes from God, and it is delivered to us, and we simply receive it. The gospel is the message of redemption. So it's God's message of redeeming men and women, boys and girls, for the praise of his name. And as such, it is unchanging and unchangeable. And this is important for us because we live in an ever-changing, shifting world. And there are churches that are proclaiming a different gospel all under the name of being culturally relevant. And that is unbiblical. The gospel cannot be changed and we ought not tamper with it. And I pray that this is a church where if there is ever a false gospel, even if it is ever so slight, that it would not be tolerated. And that this church would cry out and say, that is a false gospel. And we recognize it because we know the true one. And may we never have an environment here. I know we're a young church and we're just establishing who God's calling us to be. But may we never have an environment at this gathering where the gospel feels out of place. Where the gospel feels like it doesn't really fit with the rest of the flow of the worship gathering. 
because I've been in gatherings where the gospel feels out of place. Woe to a church where the gospel feels out of place. The gospel ought to be treasured because it is received from God. And it is the power of God for salvation. Have you ever watched, I don't know, maybe a fight or, or a game where it's a really big event? And, and you can just tell that, that the two teams or two fighters are kind of nervous, kind of filling each other out. So it's kind of a slow start. Ever seen that? That's not what's happening with Galatians. Like, just so that we're clear, the Apostle Paul hears the bell, and he comes out swinging. He is not timid. He is not feeling anyone out. He is, he is coming out full force and saying, this is the gospel, and it is explosive. And it's designed to explode like dynamite put in your heart, and it's designed to cause an explosion of joy and of purpose. Verses 1 through 5, this opener, it describes what the gospel actually is. So the, the content of the gospel. So what the gospel is. And it also describes how the gospel impacts us and why God even revealed the gospel in the first place. So these verses become the bedrock that we must build our lives upon. So verse 3 describes how how the gospel impacts us. And it says, grace to you and peace. So grace and peace to you. Grace and peace are coming to you. From where? From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is coming down from God and from the Son so God the Father and God the Son are giving us his grace and his peace. How does this impact us? We have this grace and this peace that is available to you now. It's not available to you at some point in the future, down the road. No, right here and right now from the Father and from the Son, he is giving his grace and his peace to you his people. And then if you catch that, this is important. This is something that you don't just intellectually know exists or that you've heard is out there. This is something that we're called right now to experience, to feel. We're designed to feel, to actually experience his grace and his peace. And so this is gospel impact. This is how it impacts us. We feel his grace, so his favor. We feel his approval, his love and acceptance. We feel his forgiveness, his redemption, his ongoing renewal. We experience his grace and peace, his shalom that is flowing from the throne of heaven down to your and then verse 4 describes exactly what the gospel message is. And so how does it impact you? You receive grace and peace. What is the content? What is this gospel message? It says that the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. And so Jesus did something. He gave himself. It doesn't say the Father gave himself. It doesn't say the Spirit gave himself. It says the Son. Jesus is the one who gave himself as the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So on the cross, Jesus paid for our sin, took away our shame, endured the wrath of God that we deserve. Jesus did that. He gave himself for us. He says, for a purpose. Why would he do that? To deliver us from the present evil age. We live in an evil world. This is an evil age. And I think sometimes in central Texas, we can kind of have a very sanitized view of sin. We can think that it's, it's not that bad. I'll never forget many years ago when I was in seminary. And at the time, I was selling cell phones to just make it through school. And I was trying to sell a phone to this lady. And it's so funny, as often happened with me, I, it, it turned into a gospel conversation even more than selling phones. And so I didn't sell that many phones. I wasn't very good at it. I shared the gospel a lot. Um, and in this one conversation, she was saying, I remember vividly, she said, I remember we were in Mall of St. Matthews in Louisville, Kentucky. And she said, what's the big deal with sin? It's the spice of life. It's what makes it interesting. And I was just dumbfounded. And I thought to myself, Oh, my goodness, this is the way so many people think about sin. That is not that big a deal. I didn't say a lot in that conversation, but I think today I would have probably launched into a sermon. Um, I was much younger. I was, I was in school learning to be a pastor, and probably I would have said something like, what's the big deal about sin Sin is why there is disease in this world. Sin is why there is human trafficking. Sin is why there is divorce. Sin is why there are cemeteries. Sin is why people take their lives. Sin is why there is depression. Sin is not the spice of life. Sin is an enemy, and it comes from the serpent who's been opposing the people of God. And sin is what will send you to hell. Sin is not the spice of life. Sin is what has taken this good world and has corrupted it. And there is something very wrong with this world, and you and I know it. We know that this world is not the way it should be. And it's because of sin. It is not the spice of life. It is the cause of death. And Jesus endured our sin on the cross. This is shocking. Like, that Jesus would do that, holy and perfect, that he would do that for you and me, ought to shock us. He's delivering us from 
the evil aid, delivering us from the condemnation of sin, so delivering us from the penalty of sin, and delivers us also from the power of sin. Because as Jesus work on the cross, we no longer are controlled by this evil age. We are free at last. That's what we're free from, the penalty and from the power of sin. But it says God the Father also did something. Now, the Father did not die on the cross. He sent the Son to do that. But it says that according to the will of our God and Father. So the gospel message, the plan of redemption is the Father's plan. He willed it and the Son accomplished it. And this text doesn't describe it, but others do. And the Spirit then applies it. So think of it this way. The whole Trinity is involved in redemption. The Father is the architect of redemption. It's his plan, his design. The Son is the one who accomplished redemption. And the Spirit then applies it in our lives, in indwelling and in transforming us. And so how are we set free at last? Verse 1 says it, through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the When Jesus walked out of that grave, he initiated something new, a new creation. He's the head of a whole new humanity. So a resurrected people that have resurrection power who follow Jesus not through their efforts, not through their religious abilities or merits, but through the sole power of God through the indwelling spirit of God. And so we are the people that have tasted the mercy of God, have been embraced by the love of the Father, who experienced the fellowship of the Spirit, who have received new hearts, who have been forgiven and have freedom, and we have been set free. Before you knew Jesus, before you were made new, you were a rebel. This is what you and I were. We didn't want Jesus. We didn't value his glory. We didn't want his presence. We rejected his love and his purpose, and instead we pursued false gospels. We believed the lie that we can find more joy in our business. We believed the lie that we can find more joy in being a mother. We believe the lie that we can find more hope and purpose in ministry. When quite honestly, those are not true. All of those are means. Your business, your ministry, your family are all means. They're not the end. The ultimate end we exist is to enjoy the presence of God. But we were enemies and we didn't want him. Jesus was in our supreme treasure. And the whole point of the gospel is that he transforms our hearts so that we now treasure Jesus. And we don't find our identity in other things that this world has to offer. We have been set free. And this results in praise. It results in a life of worship, which is why Paul, when he's writing about the gospel, that Jesus gave himself by the will of the Father and that we have been set free from this evil age delivered from it, he just breaks out into a song. 
He breaks out into doxology, which means into worship. He just starts singing praises, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. Like it just, it just comes out of him. A song just comes out. Why? Because that's our purpose. Worship. And the gospel is the means that brings us to God. You see, we, we talk about being saved, which is, which is adequate. It's biblical language. But we're saved from something. We're saved from this evil age, from our sin, from condemnation. Yes. But we're not just saved from something. We're saved to something. I think we forget that sometimes. But we're saved from this evil age through Jesus, and we're saved to the forever glory of God. We're saved into something. We're saved into being in the presence of God, enjoying who he is. And so what exactly is the gospel? It is the message of God redeeming the world through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the display of his glory. And the gospel is everything that we've ever needed. It results in us being transformed. And if you're finding yourself not experiencing very much change, then it could be that you're believing a false gospel, that you have suddenly believed something other than the true gospel because the true gospel leads us to Jesus. So if what you are believing, if what you are hoping in is leading you down a different path, then it is a false gospel because the true gospel brings us face to face with Jesus. And he removes all of those things that would obstruct his Love, when you encounter the resurrected Christ, the living God, you can't stay the same. When God crashes into you, you can't stay the same. And if you have a religion where you are, aren't experiencing who God is and your heart does not explode with desire for him. And if you feel like, I don't even know what you're talking about up there, Pastor Matthew, then maybe what you've had is religion, but you have never encountered Jesus face to face. Because that's what the gospel does. It crashes us into God and we're never the same anymore. And our calling, I think sometimes we think it's so simple. We think, oh, I just, I just need to work harder, or I just, need, I just need to be a better Christian. I just need to do more. No, you don't. You don't need to do more or be a better Christian. What you need is to believe better. What you need is to live out the implications of the gospel because the gospel is what leads us to God and he is the one that changes us. His spirit does that. His grace and his peace is available 
which is why, verses 6 through 9, Paul is so shocked. He was like, what are you doing? Why are you deserting? Why are you abandoning him who has called you through the gospel in Christ? Why would you do that in verses 6 and 7? You have peace and grace available to you, and you're abandoning the gospel, and you're abandoning Jesus. You see, there was social and racial division in Galatia. Because remember, the church began in Jerusalem, mostly Jews. But then as the church began to grow and have more believers that were maybe Greek backgrounds or Gentiles, what you had was now the church that was racially and socially mixed. It was now some that were Greek and some that were Jewish. And they were, they were just really struggling because there were some people that were saying, okay, Okay, Greeks, you know, Gentiles, if you want to follow Jesus and be saved, you have to trust in Jesus and be circumcised and follow the law of Moses. And, and they, were, they were adding more religious requirements, primarily circumcision. And, and so Paul doesn't come and say, you know, I think that you're just making a minor, you know, mistake here. And so let me just clarify the facts that you kind of just, just minimally got wrong. No. Paul says, you are believing a false gospel. If you say, trust in Jesus and anything, then you have now completely corrupted and polluted it, and it's no longer the gospel. It's something else. It's, it's man-centered, works-based salvation. It is not the power of God for salvation for all who believe, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. It is not something else. And so he says that it is a false gospel. Because revising the gospel is rejecting the gospel. And rejecting the gospel is rejecting we don't contribute anything towards our salvation. We don't work for it. We don't contribute to it. We simply receive it by faith. And faith is the anti-work. Because left to ourselves in our own humanity, man, we all want to earn it. We do. It's in us. To show that we somehow contributed to it. And the gospel saying by faith alone through Christ alone, by God's grace alone, reminds us, no, you didn't contribute. You received. We can't earn it. So the gospel is the message that we are actually more evil than we could ever imagine. But it's also the message that we are more loved and more accepted than we could ever hope for. God accepts you and me, not because of religious merit, but because of Jesus' work on the cross. And again, this should shock us and leave us speechless. The gospel is the message of God redeeming us despite ourselves. He loves us because he loves us. Question number two, this will go a lot faster, time is going to run out. What difference does the gospel really make? Is there actually a difference 
in our lives. Let's read the story of Apostle Paul and how, yes, it made a tremendous difference in his life. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be servants of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel which was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Here that he calls it Judaism, so religion. And he says, traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and still was unknown in person to churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of me. Paul's testament about his former life being extremely zealous for his religion and his traditions led him to advance in his religion, but it led him to persecute the church of God and be violent towards it. But then something happened to this very religious man. He met Jesus. He came face to face. He encountered the resurrected Christ, and he was completely transformed from the persecutor of God to the proclaimer, the preacher of God's message. And again, if you understand the context here, how he was killing believers, and now they're hearing that he's preaching, and they're astonished, glorifying God because of it, this is shocking. You're thinking, God could save him? Picture someone in your life that you think, there's no way. That person is so evil, so messed up, so difficult. God could never save that person. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. He did it with Paul, and he does it with us. Anytime anyone confesses Jesus as Lord, it is a miracle. It is the work of the Spirit, and it is supernatural, and it is shocking mercy. The gospel changes our hearts, and then it's what leads to growth and to obedience. Not a religious, I have to, I have to, no. It becomes a loving, I want to. I desire to. 
Let me give you three thoughts on this, on external religion. I was thinking through this on, on what, what religion can do and what drives religious effort and what it can result in. And one is it can result in faking it. Pure religion leads us to faking it. Lots of people can be in church for years, and yet when they show up the whole time, they're wondering how soon is it going to be over because their heart isn't even there. They don't, they don't really want to be there. Their heart is watching football or going out to eat or whatever, but their mind isn't focused on Jesus. They don't actually love Jesus. They're just there because their wife dragged them there or they're there because their parents expect them to be there or there's a social obligation or there's this desire for others to see you and what a good Christian you are and you're just faking it and you know you're faking it. That's what religion does. It, it, it leads us down this path where we maintain the external appearances so that we look good. But on the inside, man, we are just far from God. And what happens is I think that we want to focus on what we can see. We want to focus on what, what our hands can accomplish. And so maybe your heart really just wants to build that business or your heart really just wants to raise a bunch of kids or your heart just really wants whatever it is and and quite honestly, those things do not satisfy your soul as good as they are. Your greatest treasure needs to be Jesus because nothing else will actually satisfy you. And there's so many people in Central Texas that, quote, go to church or are in church. And man, they're just And I pray that that is not anyone here in this room. That that would not be the case. But that you would have true passion, desire for Jesus and not for religion just to fake it. But secondly, I think, is intellectualizing it. That's a big word, right? So intellectual, so intellectualizing it. We can fake it or intellectualize it. We can make our whole life, our whole religious approach, just learning information. There are people who love apologetics or love theology, love the podcasts, love reading the books, love, and every time you talk to them, they're so quick to tell you, here's what I read. I was reading Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and on page 92 of his book, he says, and then it, you're just like, Dude, I haven't read that since seminary. Like, I'm really impressed. Like, you're an amazing Christian. And, and that person maybe said it because that's what they wanted. They wanted to be recognized as an amazing Christian that knows so much and is so well-versed. And, and they're just out to impress people. And they're just out to show all of their intellectual knowledge. And, and their heart grows cold because they don't actually love Jesus they love the body of knowledge of Jesus. They love the information, the, the system of theology. And it's just pure religion. It's intellectual, and it will drive you very far away from Jesus. The purpose of theology is to know God better. The point of theology is that you would have your heart explode with 
awe for who Jesus is. And so proper theology that is healthy leads us to be in awe of and worship Jesus. Because that's the end, to love Jesus, to enjoy him. So religion leads us to faking it or intellectualizing it or earning it. It can lead us to try to earn our salvation through our religious efforts, and it can lead us to fear that we're not doing enough or that we can somehow even lose our salvation. But we don't work for God in order to earn his approval. We already have his approval. And receiving the love of God is what frees us and gives us the hope and the confidence to then obey. And so we obey because we're loved. We obey because we already have God's approval. We don't obey in order to get it. Religion leads us to trying to earn it. And, and there's a member of this faith family named Matthew Wells. And he was playing the drums this morning, kind of hiding in the cage back here. And I love this young man. And he has a story to share, a testimony of this very truth. And so it just turned to the screens and We'll turn on the lights, and we're going to watch this testimony of our brother, Matt Wells. Growing up for the first 20 years of my life, I believed that I could lose my salvation and that I could get to a point where God would just be done with me if I, if I sinned too much or if I didn't live the Christian life like I was supposed to, um, which that belief kept me bound to fear and to a performance-based lifestyle. And there was a point where I was like, all right, I am tired of living under this fear, and I'm going to seek God on this until He shows me the truth. It was like the Holy Spirit just turned, on neon, turned neon lights onto every every scripture in the New Testament. It finally it came alive like I've never had scripture come alive before. And I was just seeing everywhere proof in the New Testament that you can't. And I was uh, started studying a lot of those passages that have caused me a lot of fear and asking the Holy Spirit for wisdom. And He was speaking to me about those passages, giving me understanding which I'd never had before. When Paul says we're ambassadors for Christ, um, that's what I felt like. We're ambassadors of the truth, and it is my, my job, it is my obligation to share this with others. The most selfish thing I could do would be just be to keep it to myself. I basically attempted in this letter to lay out everything the Holy Spirit had showed me on uh, why you cannot lose your salvation. And the most joyful part about this was that um, I could back it up with Scripture. If you believe you can lose your salvation, you will contradict yourself with Scripture every time. You simply cannot. You cannot make sense of some of the verses. From then on, there just has been this stepping into who we are in Christ. It's stepping into what God has made me to be and understanding that I am His child. There's a lot of peace now with just stepping into who I am and to who God has made me to be and to finally rest in that. And that was one of the last things that really kind of I put in the letter is if you believe you can lose your salvation, can you ever truly rest in Christ's finished work on the cross? Because if not, then if you can't rest in God, then there's something else you have to do. And you're actually saying that a work you can do is better than the blood of Christ because it needs something else. 
One of the biggest things that's helped me is feel to receive God's love um, in any moment, realizing that in any moment, whether I'm in failure, whether I'm in my biggest success, God's love for me has not changed. And I am just as secure in Christ. I can finally spiritually exhale. I can finally um, rest in God. And there's just nothing but peace. And there is only the present moment of just it's here with God and everything's okay. Being able to rest in that has set me free to actually want to live the life God has given me and um, to love those around me and to not do it out of fear and out of a performance, uh, performance-based mindset. What I realized is, like he was saying to me, Matt, it's as if you were my, you were always my son. You're not just the adopted son. You are always. It's as, it's as if you were always my true son. Powerful. Receiving the love of God sets you free from the fear of just thinking you don't measure up. What you have to know today is that you don't have to measure up because Jesus already did. He measured up to God's perfect and holy standard. And as you heard our brother talk about, this has led to peace and to rest, which is exactly what we see here in Galatians 1, the grace and the peace of God. So if, if your soul is restless, if you find yourself having a hard time just really resting, I would pray that this week that you would really see God's face on, is it possible that you have been trying to earn it? And you're just faking it. I mean, for you, it's just an intellectual thing. You know, I think one of the beauties but challenges of planning a church is, well, it's hard. Amen? For those that have been here from the very beginning, all of nine months ago, it's, it's a hard thing. You have to get here early and pulling trailers and setting up, and, and we need help. Like, honestly, if you've been a regular attender, if you're a member, then you're, you're in. Like, all members serve on setup. But if you are a regular attender or if you want to get a feel for this church, come here at 730. We're here every Sunday at 730 setting up, and it's a joyful time. And yet it is challenging. And I think there's a certain personality that feels drawn to a church plan. People who like to work hard. We have a lot of homeschool families. They like doing things hard. Like, they homeschool. Like, that's hard. Like, it's easier to just say, here, kids, go to school. Much easier. And so if you're the personality type that just likes adventure, likes hard things, likes to work hard, likes to work with your hands, and likes to get involved, then a church plant is like, yes, that's for me. And it's beautiful. It's God's call. But there is a word of caution. You don't earn God's favor by coming here early and setting up. You don't earn God's favor by working hard for him. You already have God's favor. You already have his love. You already have his grace, his peace, his forgiveness, his love. You already have all of it. Will you receive it? That's the question. Will you just receive it?
feel that grace and that peace that he offers to you. We need to live out the implications of this gospel. And over the next several weeks, as we study Galatians, we're going to see those. We're going to identify the specific implications of the gospel and how it impacts our daily lives. Galatians reveals how God takes rebels who are enslaved to their sin and transforms them into sons and daughters that are free, that are empowered to obey and who live with overflowing joy and significance in the presence of God. Through the power of the Spirit, we receive what we could never achieve in our own efforts. We are free at last.